presence of the Lord today. Thank you, worship team. Thank you so much. Appreciate, appreciate that, the good singing and worship today. They just do a great job, and I, um, I appreciate it. Keep them in your prayers, amen? All right, I get to sing now. All right. Amen. Open your Bibles today. This will be my song, okay? Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. I told you we would get back to Mark. And so we're going to get back in there today, the Lord willing. Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10 in your um, Bible or your smart device, whatever. Mark chapter number 10, and um, we're going to begin reading with verse number 1. When you, when you have that, say amen. I want to, I want to, um, I want to teach, preach, preach, whatever, this morning from this passage. Um, uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a word, I believe that it's a word from the Lord that needs to be, uh, needs to be given to the church today. And so you guys just help me to preach. Pay attention to what I have to say. And uh, I want to say in the beginning of this message that, that this message is not meant to be condescending to anyone or in any way a condemning of anyone or anything, uh, anybody's life. But uh, as the Word of God is, it, it's meant to encourage us, to help us, to build us up. And, and sometimes the Word of God many times shows us flaws and it shows us places where we've missed it. But listen, God always provides grace and forgiveness and restoration and mercy in our lives if we ask for it. Isn't that right? So, so again, this word today is meant to be a blessing to this congregation. I believe God wants to build strong families, strong relationships between husbands and wives and parents and kids. And He wants, he, he wants, he, you know, he wants our church to be strong, our marriages to be strong, and our families and our homes to be what God has ordained them to be. Okay? So in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 1, it says this, And He, Jesus, arose from thence, which is Capernaum, and he comes to the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan, and the people resort to him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, or divorce his wife, tempting him? And he answered, and Jesus answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And if you'll notice, when Jesus was confronted with a question by the Pharisees, he took them directly to the Word of God. He said, What did Jesus command you? Or what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered or allowed or permitted to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus said, answered and said to them, Listen to this, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. This is important right here. Amen. Because I've heard, I have heard people say this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to preach before I preach, but 
I have to stop here for a moment because I have heard people say that Jesus never addressed the issue of same-sex marriage. Well, He did right here. He said that in the beginning He created them male and female. There are only two genders. And it doesn't make any difference what the world tries to say. Every, all of this stuff about all these multiple different genders are, is, is all demonic. It's of Satan. It's of the devil. God in the beginning created them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The man being male, the wife being female, okay? I'm just reading to you what Jesus said, all right? I'm not making anything up. I'm just telling you what Jesus and the Word of God says. And they twain, or they two, shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, or two, but one flesh. That's a miracle of God. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him, saying, uh, ask him again of the same manner. And he said to them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of the sacredness of marriage the sacredness of marriage. Um, You know, somebody said that marriage is kind of like twirling a baton, doing backflips, and eating with chopsticks. It looks easy till you try it. And I think that depicts what marriage is because marriage is the greatest thing in the world. It's It's an ordinance of God. But marriage is also, you know, it's, it's something that has to be worked at. And I think all of you married couples that are here, everybody that's here that is married or has been married, I know we have some here that are widowed and some here that are divorced. And again, uh, this message is meant to be a blessing and a help to you and not, um, not a, a condescending type of message in any way. But you know, if you've been married any length of time or have been married, that it takes, it, it takes work to keep a marriage together. Vicki and I have been married for 47 years. And uh, when we got married, and I think I mentioned this not too long ago, um, that when we got married, we got married very young, and uh, there was most, nobody gave us much of a chance. Kind of everybody thought, well, this will never last, but they, you know, ain't no need to try to talk them out of it, but it won't work. Well, it has worked. And I think I made this statement before that the only reason it did work and has lasted is because um, early in our marriage, we both gave our hearts to the Lord and we got saved and God, Jesus Christ became the center of our life and became the center of our home. And every time I, I give marriage counseling to young people that are getting, uh, planning on getting married, I always stress that fact that the only way that your marriage is going to survive, especially in the day we're living in, the time we're living in, it has to be Jesus got to be the center of that home. Jesus got to be number one in that life. 
And so Viggy and I have been married for all these years and we've had to work at it. It's not always been an easy path, an easy way. And there have always been um, opportunities for us to, uh, you know, to, to, to break up or to, to call it quits. But thank God by the grace of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's kept us together all these years. I asked Vicki one time, I said, Vicki, will you still love me when I'm old and unattractive? And she said, well, Ricky, yes, you know I do. And um, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't ask her that. And hopefully she wouldn't say that, answer in that way. But, uh, but I don't think, I think every one of us understand and realize today that that the, the, the family unit, that uh, marriage and the home and the family is under attack today by the enemy in a greater way probably than it ever has been before. We are living in a time of uh, a day of throwaway marriages. Somebody would say, well, what do you mean by throwaway marriages? And uh, you know, throw away our disposable marriages is kind of like, well, you know, we'll get, we're going to get married and we're going to try this thing and see if it works. And if it don't work, well, we'll just get a divorce and we'll just call it quits. We'll just throw it out. And that's not the way that God intended for this thing to be and, and not the way that He intended for marriage and the family to, to be. Traditional marriage today is um, it's being looked at, you know, as kind of out of date, obsolete. It's kind of looked at uh, like a like it's a, like a kerosene lantern or a Model T Ford. You know, it's it's outdated, it's old fashioned, and it's outdated. And I will say this: marriage, traditional biblical marriage that's been ordained by God, is old fashioned. But I'm going to tell you, it is not outdated. Amen. It is not outdated. And I'm just a little bit, you know, I, I, I get just a little bit tired of, uh, of, of marriage and morality being defined by what we see on television and uh, the marriage and, and morality in the nation being defined by a depraved, adulterous generation uh, in Hollywood that they want to teach us, they want to they they try to dictate to us and tell us uh, what is right and what is wrong today. But uh, you know what? I think when we, when we want to find out what God's ideas are about marriage and about the home and about the family, then we have to go to the Word of God. We have to go to what God says and what Jesus said. And you know as well as I do that we're living in a day today that, uh, you know, just pretty much anything goes. And I know people say, well, you know, this is, this is 2020. I mean, you know, wake up, preacher, smell the coffee. Things are different now. Things are new now. And, uh, but you know what? The, the Bible's still the same. And the Word of God has not changed. And uh, the Bible is, and I know there are people, I know I'm being controversial this morning because there are people that don't believe this fact, but the Bible is God's, is absolute truth. And I know there's some people that say there is no such thing as absolute truth, but there is. And the Word of God is 
absolute truth. Amen. Everything has to be based upon the Bible. God said it, and uh, it doesn't make any difference, you know, um, how, how old the Scriptures are. They're not archaic. They're, they're relative and, and relevant for today, just as they were when the Lord wrote them. And, and His Word never changes. And I really believe that it's, that it's in this time that we live in that it's time for pastors, that, that we that believe the Bible and believe the Word of God, it's time for ministers of the gospel to stand up and to preach the truth of God's Word. Amen. There, there, there probably will be a day in the future where it would be against the law for a minister, for myself, or a preacher of the gospel to stand up in a pulpit and say that, that marriage between two men or marriage between two women is wrong and it's a sin. Um, that would prob- there probably will come the day that that will happen. But as the apostle said, you know, as the apostle said, when they were confronted in the book of Acts, Um, Peter stood up and they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore and Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. So we've got the word of God, we've got the truth of the Bible and we have to speak out today and I believe that we need to teach and preach what the Bible says about marriage, about the home and about family in the days that we're living in today. And so I want to share with you uh, this morning three things that Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, three things that Jesus taught about about marriage. And the first one is this, and if you want to jot some of these things down, that will be fine. Uh, You can reference them later, you can get the CD. But the number one thing that we want to mention this morning that Jesus said about marriage is that marriage is made in heaven. Marriage is made in heaven. Marriage is a divine creation and it is the creation of God and marriage is God's plan. When Jesus spoke to these individuals here in our text in Mark chapter 10 in answer to the question of the Pharisees, Jesus said that from the beginning of creation, notice that, that God made them male and female and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. So they are no more twain but one flesh. So Jesus when he's asked about marriage and he's asked about divorce he goes to the word of God and takes these people back to the word of God actually back to the very beginning to the very Um, beginning of creation and lets us know that the very first institution that was ordained and made by God was the family and the home. Marriage was began by the Lord. It was God's idea. I mean, before there was a civilization, before there was government, before even, even before there was a church or before there was worship, there was a home and there was marriage. And God instituted 
executed it. Marriage is not a product of society, but it's something, it's an institution that was established by God in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. Amen. Matter of fact, the very first wedding that was performed was performed there in the Garden of Eden. It was performed by God. When you go back to the to the beginning, as Jesus did here, and that's where he took them back to. You know, they were looking at what Moses had taught about divorce, and Jesus said, well, let's go a little farther than Moses, a, a, a little farther back than the law. Let's go back to the very beginning when marriage was first instituted. And he took them back to Genesis. And I usually always in my wedding ceremonies, my wedding messages, when I perform a wedding ceremony, bring out this fact that uh, in the beginning God, you know, he created the heavens, he created the earth, he created all that was in the earth. And when God made his creation, he looked at it all and he said that it was good, didn't he? I think there was five or six times that I counted in Genesis chapter one where God said, it was good. And then when everything was created, God looked at his creation, and not only did he say that it was good, but God said, it is very good, hallelujah. So anything bad, we, we learned that on Wednesday night here a while back, that every good thing, every good gift, every perfect gift comes from God. And in the original creation, God created everything good. But then in that creation, God said there was something that was not good. And he said, what did he say? After he created Adam, he gave Adam jobs to do there in the garden, to take care of the garden, to tend the garden. And he also had Adam to name all of the animals. God brought everything that God created. Can you imagine this? Everything that God created, he would create an animal and he would bring it to Adam and he said, what should we call that, Adam? And so whatever Adam said, whatever name he gave to that animal, that is what they called it. That was, you know, can you imagine the intelligence that was there, that super intelligence that Adam had? Well, we don't have that intelligence today because of the fall, but, 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 but Adam had plenty to do, but God said there's something missing here. He said it is not good for man to be alone. And so he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a helper for, for my man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create him a help me. And so God put Adam into a deep sleep, gave him some anesthesia and put him out and performed the first surgery there in the Garden of Eden. The Bible said that God opened up the side of Adam, took a rib out of Adam's side, closed up the side there, you know, healed it back up, and then from that rib he created, he made a woman. And he brought her to Adam and performed the first wedding ceremony there in the Garden of Eden and joined those two together. And it was there in Genesis chapter two that Jesus was quoting from here when he said that God made them male and female and God joined them together and he said a man is to leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Isn't that what the Bible says? Amen? And when it talks about, and I mentioned this
this a few weeks ago, but when it talks about a helper or a helpmate, she was to be, that woman was to be the indispensable companion of her husband. They were created as one. And it was God's design. Are you listening to me? God's design as he created them, he made them male and female. And God there in the very beginning defined marriage as a union made by God of a man and a woman, of a male and a female. And I know that's, you know, that's, that's debated in the world today, but we take the word of God for what the word of God says. Amen. And so God set the standard of marriage in the very beginning and can I tell you, Jesus confirmed it in the gospels and there's not been any change to that because biblical, traditional, biblical, godly, Bible marriage created and ordained by God is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Come on somebody. That is the plan of God. So marriage was planned by God. It is old-fashioned, but it's not outdated because it is God's idea. But there's the priority also of marriage that Jesus gives in our text in verse seven there when he said that a man, again, Jesus is quoting from Genesis, and he said that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. So there he's talking about the priority in marriage, which the priority, and listen to me, the priority in marriage is there has to be a commitment. There has to be a leaving and a cleaving. Are you with me? There has to be a commitment of, of those two individuals. And I always stress this when, again, when I'm talking to young couples about getting married and they come to me and they're all excited and they say, Pastor, we want to get married. And, and so I schedule some premarital counseling to have with them, to talk to them about it. And one of the things that I, that I stress, and it has to be, this has to be something that we are reminded of no matter how long we've been together with our, our companion, no matter how long we've been married, and that is there has to be a commitment between those two. You have to be committed to that marriage. You have to be committed to that spouse, amen, one committed to the other, and there has to be a commitment because marriage is not a contract. I know somebody said, well, marriage is just a contract, but it's more than just a contract. A contract is something that you read, and if you decide you don't want to be under the contract anymore, you can just tear the contract up and say it's over with. But marriage is not just a contract. Marriage is a covenant that is made between that man and that woman. And it has to be a commitment, a leaving and a cleaving. Did you notice that? It has to be a commitment and a priority above our parents. Now, we love our parents. Our parents raised us up. Our parents took good care of us and, and we're to love them, we're to honor them. But do you know that there comes a time, amen, all the teenagers, young people listening to me, there comes a time when those, um, when we grow up and we have to leave the nest. Well, I got a couple of amens. Somebody said, what do you get? What do you get an 18 year old that's graduated from high school as a graduation present? I'd say luggage. 
We're not trying to kick anybody out. Of course, you know that. But it was never God's design or plan for children to remain in that home forever. There comes a time that they have to leave the nest and go out on their own. But there has to be a priority in that relationship to that, to that spouse above our parents. And uh, there also has to be a relationship and a commitment in, and a priority in that relationship um, between that husband and wife above the children. Are you listening to me? We love our children. We care for our children. We provide for them. And, uh, but they, there's going to come a time when those children will leave home and the only ones going to be left in the nest is mom and dad. And that, co- that commitment, there has to be a priority there and a cleaving to one another. There has to be a priority in that marriage, not only above the parents and above our children, but there has to be a priority in that relationship and that marriage, also above our business and above our vocation and above our job. And I believe that everybody needs to work. Can I get an amen? The Bible says that if you don't work, you don't eat. Socialism won't work. Come on, somebody. If you don't work, you don't eat. That is the Bible. I know somebody's gonna say, there it goes, getting political again. But, you know, you just have to bear with me because I'm not gonna stand up here and promote any kind of socialism for this nation. We've gotta go by what the Bible says. And we need to work and we need to have a career and we need to have a vocation. But can I tell you that there have been many families and there have been many marriages that have been sacrificed on the altar of business and sacrificed on the altar of somebody's career where that man or that woman has put their career and their job and making money ahead of their spouse and ahead of their family. I'm preaching better than your amen in today. But let me tell you something. Yes, we must work. But you know what? If you got a do without. If you've got to live a little below a standard, oh, it's worth it all to give your priority to that woman, to that family, to that husband. Amen? Hallelujah. God must be first in our lives and that family must come next and church is in there. Amen? But there is a priority of marriage where Jesus said that we leave some things and cleave to our spouse. That's the priority. But then he spoke there also of the permanence of marriage. And here's where we get into some important things. Because Jesus, again, in verse 8 and 9, as he's speaking there of what God had said in the book of Genesis, he said that a man will leave father and mother and will cleave to his wife and they will be joined together by God and what God has joined together let not man put asunder. Now what does it mean to cleave? That word cleave is an interesting word because it actually it means to be glued together or to be cemented together or to be welded together. And this is exactly what God does in the marriage, in the marriage ceremony. He brings those two together and glues them together and welds them or cements them together as one. And Jesus here is saying this, and that is 
he is saying the same thing that God did from the beginning, that marriage is intended by God to be for a lifetime. Getting back to what I said at the beginning of the, of the message, there, it shouldn't be a throwaway marriage, but we must have a commitment to one another. And it should be uh, forever. And that's always what I tell people, you know, in the, in the wedding ceremony, I always tell them the vows that you are about to make to one another are as binding in adversity as they are in prosperity and should only be dissolved by death. I take that very seriously. And everyone who enters into marriage should also take that very seriously. Divorce, we're going to speak a little bit about that in, a, in just a moment, but divorce to a couple entering into a marriage or to a couple that has been married for many years, divorce should never be an option. Brother Rick, it happens. Yes, it does. But it's not the plan of God and it's not the will of God. Are you with me? And I, you know, I, I believe that everything should be done in that, in that, with that husband and that wife to keep that relationship together no matter what. Everything should be done. And sometimes it's not possible. And you're dealing with different situations, you know. Uh, you're dealing with, 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 with some homes, some families where there's one Christian, one un unsaved person. And different scenarios and different situations. But I'm dealing this morning, I'm talking to you as Christians today, as, as believers here at Abundant Life Family Church, that there should be a permanence. And God intended for there to be a permanence in your relationship when you make those wedding vows and when you get married. Divorce was never a part of the plan of God. Jesus said it there. He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to write a bill of divorcement. But from the beginning, he said, it was not so. That was not in God's plan in the very beginning. Whether you have two saved people getting married, which is the ideal situation, or whether you have two unsaved people coming together and getting married. And I've, done, I've performed wedding ceremonies for two believers being joined together. I've married those, those who were not saved, two unsaved people coming together. And whether it's two saved or two unsaved people, the covenant of marriage is an honorable thing in the eyes of God. And God expects those vows to be taken seriously and for those vows to be kept. Are you listening to me? Um, the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 that marriage is honorable in all. Whether they're saved, whether they're not, it's still honorable in all. And the bed, the marriage bed in that relationship is undefiled. And that's the only way that sexual relations can be undefiled and not be sin is in the confines of marriage. And I know today the trend is that, you know, just whatever feels good, do it. And, 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 and it doesn't matter whether you're married. If you're really in love, you can go ahead and have sexual relations. That is not, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, that is not what the Word of God teaches. The Bible does not teach that. Hallelujah. The marriage bed is the bed that is undefiled. And whether it's too unsafe 
saved people or two saved people that are coming together, God honors that marriage covenant that they make one to another. There is a couple of, an exce- couple of exceptions to the rule, and one of them is this. And let, let, me, let me drive this nail. Is everybody listening to me? I want every unmarried person to really listen to me right now because I, I need to stress this because it happens so much. It happens so often. But God forbids a Christian, a born-again, blood-washed child of God. God's word forbids you to marry someone who is not a Christian. If a girl or a boy who is saved links up with a girl or a boy who is unsaved, that is an unequal yoke. And the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what? Fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness. What, uh, what, what concord has Christ with Belial? What fellowship has light with darkness? Listen to me, listen to me. Young people, old people, middle-aged people, if you are single, God allows you to marry only in the Lord. If you're saved, marry somebody that's saved. Are you with me? God has, has, has specifically laid that out in His Word. But I will say this as well. In the day that we're living in, and I thought that we would, I never thought we would ever be in this time where it is the law of the land. And was it five Supreme Court justices voted that it was okay for same-sex marriage? It was legal for the same sexes to marry. And it doesn't make any difference today to God whether five Supreme Court justices in their robe made that, made that law, that decision or not. And it doesn't matter if it's the law of the land in the United States. It's not the law of God. And it's opposed and against the law of God. And I'm going to go on record as saying this. According to the Bible, God does not. Let me repeat it. God does not recognize or honor a same-sex marriage or relationship in the eyes of God. It may be legal in the eyes of the law of the land, but in the eyes of God, it is not recognized. And in the eyes of God, it is an abomination. It is sin. It is vile. It is unclean. And it is not in line with the Scripture, with the Word of God. See, I'd rather preach. I'd, <laughs> I'd rather preach something about victory and deliverance and all of that. But I, I, this is just a pastoral message this morning. I believe that as your pastor, and I know people say, "Well, brother Rick, we all believe that. We all know that. We must be reminded, and we cannot back up on that at all." So marriage is a permanent thing. And the product of marriage, Jesus said, is that the two become one. 
That's God's arithmetic, and I don't know how... I don't know how that all works, but that's God's arithmetic that here's God, you know, you, you, it's one plus one equals one. Right? Is that right? That's, that's what God's arithmetic is. I mean, you know, uh, and, and that, it's a miracle of God. It's the gluing together. It's the cementing together of those two lives in one. If you read in Malachi chapter 2, God talks about it being, He talks to, about it being a, a physical joining together where they're, where they're no longer two people, but they're one, but also their spirits are bound together and they're one in spirit. Amen? And, and that's, the tr that's the way that it is. I, I explained this one when people get married. I said, this is a miracle that only God can do. Only God can perform. Is when you make that, when you stand before that minister, that, that boy and that girl, that man, that woman, and they make those vows to God, and God comes on the scene. There's something very holy about this where God brings them together and makes them one. And there's several ceremony, parts of the wedding ceremony that illustrate this used to always we use the, the unity candle. Remember the unity candle where there were two candles, a candle on each side and then one unity candle in the middle and the, the mother of the bride would come up and light one side and the mother of the groom would light the other side and then during the ceremony as I, was, as I pronounced the man and wife, the bride and the groom would each take their candle and they would light together the one candle and then blow out their candle. And I always tell them in that ceremony in rehearsal, I say, now, when you light together the, the center candle, then blow out your individual candle. And I say, you know why you blow out your individual candle? And they say, why? And I say, because that means there's no more old flames. No more old flames, all right? But, but it's two uniting as one. There's a new ceremony that's used now more often, and that's the sand ceremony. How many has ever seen that? Where, where the bride and the groom have two different colors of sand, and they pour the sand together into one container, and the, the granules of sand mix together, and they form a beautiful design. And it's meant to say this, that there's no way you can go back in there and, and divide those two colors of sand. There's no way you can go in there and take the, the, the blue sand from the red sand. It's all intermingled as one. Amen? That's what God does in the marriage. It's a miracle that the two become one. They come together as one. That's the plan of God. Are you hearing me? Amen. I, 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 I've I've floated before on, uh, on the current river. I know that we've got some folks here that are familiar with the current river. And uh, the current river, uh, we, we put in one time in a, in a John boat at Acres Ferry and floated down to two rivers. And two rivers is, how many is familiar with what I'm talking about there around him? And it's some of y'all, if you had never floated or, or, or been a part of the current river, you need to, you need to, Get a life. Glory to God. Get to 
praise God. But, but you put, we put in at Acres Ferry and floated down to two rivers. And the two rivers is where the, the, the Jack's Fork River comes into the current river. How many has ever been there? Anybody ever been there? It's a beautiful place. And, uh, but, but here's the point I want to make. See, and I, I was sitting there in my office this morning and I was just meditating on this and thinking about it and God just dropped this thought into my mind and God just, just reminded me it's kind of like the current river and the Jack's Fork River coming together because those two streams flow together and from that point on it flows south as the current river anybody ever been to the current river about or I'm sorry, the current river down around Van Buren down in those places do you know that is two rivers running together but you can't go out there sister Denise and, and say I'm going to separate the current river from the Jack's Fork I'm going to take the Jack's Fork out of the current does this make any sense anybody it's because they been blended together and welded together. What a picture that is of the marriage relationship and what God does. Hallelujah. That's why there has to be a commitment. That's why we have to take it very seriously. That's why we have to pray about who we're going to spend our life with and be led by the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. It's the sacredness of that marriage. That's my first point. I've got to hurry, don't I? <laughs> Marriages are made in heaven. That's number one. But number two is marriages can be marred by hell. And we see that a lot today. These Pharisees came to Jesus. I wish I had time to go into the background of this. But the very place that Jesus was at this day was in the region. He had left Capernaum, come into the region east of the Jordan. And it was the same region where John the Baptist had been, had been imprisoned by Herod Antipas. It was in the same region where John the Baptist had preached to Herod and said, said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And because of his stand, he was imprisoned and was executed. It was in that same region that the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, and the scripture said they were tempting him. Possibly they were thinking if we can get Jesus to do like John and condemn divorce, maybe they'll cut Jesus' head off too. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Now, in Matthew chapter 19, it gives the same, it, it gives the same incident. It's the um, same story. But in 19, Matthew 19, it adds this, that they said, Is it right or lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? That's important. For every cause. Because there were two schools of thought that were circulating and were being taught in the days of Jesus. There were two different rabbis that had taught two different doctrines concerning divorce. 
One was a more liberal view, and they taught that divorce was lawful for any cause. That's what they were asking. Is it for any cause? And they had made up their own rules about that. You know, in Deuteronomy 24, it talked about giving a, a bill of divorcement to your wife if you found some uncleanness in her. Well, they just made up whatever they wanted to. And so they had, I mean, some of the things that they would divorce their wives over were, were they would divorce them if they burnt their dinner. You're out of here. If they oversalted their food. Adios. If they argued with or talked back to their husband, hasta la vista, baby, you're gone. <laughs> Amen? I mean, even if they would, in public, talk to a man, that was grounds for divorce. So it was for any cause. I read one commentary said that if the woman in public would get excited and twirl around and her dress would go up above her ankles and she would show her ankles in public, cause for divorce. So you can see that in Jesus' time, divorce for any cause was the liberal point of view. It was running rampant. And that's the, that's the view that the Pharisees liked. They even, even if they would see a, another lady that was prettier than their wife, that was a cause stipulated. Just divorce your wife and get the one you want. Kindly sounds like today. That was the liberal view of one rabbi. There was another rabbi that was a conservative view and he interpreted the scripture to say and to mean that there was only one, there was only one legitimate reason for divorce and that was sexual immorality. That was the conservative view that if your spouse committed adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, had an affair with somebody else, that was biblical grounds for divorce. And that was the view that Jesus confirmed in our text. He mentions that in the 19th chapter of the book of Matthew. But divorce was out of control in the days of the Lord Jesus and in the same way, it's out of control today. Over one million divorces annually in the United States, which would involve two million people and millions of children. 51% now, they say, of all marriages fail and end in divorce. Why is that the case? Let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm trying to bring this down to a close. But Why is that the case? Is that, let me ask this, is that the will of God? No. Is God pleased with that? No. What is the problem? Why is that the case? And Jesus gave the answer there in the text and said that Moses allowed divorce for one reason. He permitted it. From the very beginning, he said it was not so. As a matter of fact, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, I believe it is, the Bible says that God hates divorce. 
So why was it so prominent? If it was not the will of the Lord, why did Moses permit it? Why is it permitted now? Jesus said that it was because of the hardness of your heart. In other words, divorce was allowed because of the fallen state of humanity and because of sin in the hearts of one or both of the parties involved in a divorce. Jesus said that the source of divorce is always sin. Now that went over real good, didn't it? Somebody said, well, no. It's in irreconcilable differences. The Bible doesn't give that as a reason. Because if you're saved and your spouse is saved and you both love Jesus and you both got the Holy Spirit living in you, you should be able to reconcile anything, at least according to the Bible, you should be able to do that. You don't, under, you don't realize how difficult this message is to preach. because it's, it's a hot topic, isn't it? It's a hot button topic. And not everybody's going to agree with that. But that's, nevertheless, that's what Jesus said. It's sin in the hearts of one or both of those companions. I've had people, you know, I've had people say this. Well, I'm divorcing my wife because I just... I just don't love her anymore. Well, now, now listen, now hang on here. Now you're not going to get no sympathy out of me on that. Not if you claim to be saved. Not if you claim to be born again. Not if you claim to know Jesus Christ. Because you're not, well, I just don't feel any love. The Bible never said anything about it. you got to feel love for her. The Bible commands you in Ephesians, husbands, how many husbands we got here? How many husbands are listening to me today? The Bible commands us in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ so loved the church. He didn't give you the option. He says you love that woman. If you're born again, the love of God is in your heart. And so, you know, those that come and say, well, I just stopped to love her. He stopped loving her today. Well, I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> Amen. That won't fly. Jesus said that the source of divorce is sin. And you know as well as I do that the devil's working overtime to try to destroy marriages and homes and families. And that's why we need to build our relationships and our homes and our family on the Word of God. Too many trivial excuses for divorce, but Jesus made it very clear and said that sexual impurity is the only biblical reason for divorce. Paul added desertion by an unbelieving Christian. He added that in 2 Corinthians, I believe it was, 1st or 2nd Corinthians chapter number 7, 1st Corinthians, I believe. But it's the fornication or the continual marital unfaithfulness of a marriage partner, of one of those marriage partners that are involved in a an extramarital affair, a relationship with somebody else. And may I say this, that even if that happens in a Christian home, I'm talking to Christians, I'm talking to people that both of you are saved. Well, that won't happen in a home where both are saved. Let me say this, there are no biblical reasons 
for divorce in a home where both man and wife are saved? No. Well, I thought you said adultery. Well, adultery is, but if both are saved, there ain't gonna be no adultery in that home. Come on, somebody. Don't give me that stuff. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I love Jesus, but I'm having my little fling on the side. You need to get born again if that's the case. You're not saved. I hope somebody comes back tonight. Isn't that the truth though? So as far as two people that are born again and filled with the Spirit and love Jesus, there are no, there are no biblical grounds. But when a person walks away from the Lord and begins to get involved in sexual immorality, then the other spouse does have the biblical grounds for divorce. But I still believe that every effort should be made by that couple to reconcile and make things right. If that spouse that's been guilty of the affair comes back and truly, truly, here's the good, here's the word, here's the key word, truly repents of that sin and asks God to forgive them, does God forgive them? Yes. And according to the Bible as a Christian, it may not be easy, it may be hard, it, won't, it definitely won't be easy, but then you need to work together as Christians to reconcile, to forgive one another and to make it happen. But if that thing continues, then yes, there's biblical grounds and God does not expect that individual to continue on in that marriage relationship when that companion is being unfaithful. How many is with me? But Satan is out to mar and to ruin and to wreck and to destroy homes. Marriage is made in heaven but it can be marred by hell. And we see it too often happening even within the church. But last of all, thirdly and last of all, marriage can be marked by hope. And it should be marked by hope. Let me, let me, let me say this. I know there are people that I'm preaching to this morning that have been divorced. Am I right? Yes. Most any church you preach in, probably the majority of that congregation have been through a divorce sometime in their life. As I said in the beginning, I'm not preaching down to you. I don't mean this to be condemning uh, in any way because every situation is marked by hope. How many knows that we serve a God that is full of love and full of mercy and full of compassion and full of forgiveness? And how many of you all know today that there's only one unpardonable sin and it ain't divorce? Somebody needs to say amen right there. I said, there's only one unpardonable sin and it is not divorce, thank God. But do you know there's a lot of preachers and there's a lot of churches today that act like divorce is the unpardonable sin, that if you've been through a divorce, that you're just some kind of a second class Christian and you're just not as good as me because I've never had that. You need to be careful about what you say and what you talk about, amen. Anything can happen to anybody at any given time, but thank God. God, Jesus Christ, has shed His blood to forgive us and to heal us and to restore our lives. Woo, hallelujah, amen. There's hope.
regardless of whether there's been a divorce in an individual's life or a divorce and a remarriage, there is forgiveness. There is hope. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've been through a divorce and it was not your fault and you tried to reconcile. But the, in spite of everything that you could do, that marriage couldn't be salvaged. I'm gonna tell you what, you need to move on. You need to get in an altar and pray and say, God, I want to do your will. Let God wash you. Let God heal you. Let God turn you around and bless your life again. God is a restorer. He'll give you a brand new beginning. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. Amen. They brought a woman to Jesus. Caught in the very act of adultery. Another, another situation where they're going to try to get him now. Threw her down at the feet of Jesus. Said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Well, I want to know. I want to. I want to know where the man was at. If she was caught in the act, she wasn't committing adultery by herself. If they caught her in the very act, where's the dude? They threw her down at the feet of Jesus. That might have been what Jesus wrote on the ground. Where's the man? I don't know, it doesn't say, but it could have been. Threw her down at the feet of Jesus, said Moses, we, we caught her and Jesus, we caught her in the act of adultery. Moses to command she be stoned. What do you say about it? Jesus ignored them and they kept on and finally Jesus rose up and he said, you that is without, you, the one among you that's without sin, you cast the first stone. And he just squatted back down and started writing on the ground and ignored them. And one by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. Jesus looked back up. Nobody was there but the woman. He said, woman, and this was a woman that had committed, been caught in the act of adultery. Are we advocating adultery? No. Are we condoning adultery? No. Was Jesus condoning adultery? No. But he said, woman, where are your accusers? Does no man now condemn you? And she said, no man, Lord. And hold some of the sweetest words ever spoken. Woo, I'm about to shout. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, hallelujah. How many remembers the day Jesus said to you, neither do I condemn thee? Go and say, was there forgiveness? Was there restoration? Yes, he forgave her. He went, to, he went to into Samaria, sat down at Jacob's well, and a Samaritan woman came and sat down beside him. And Jesus struck up a conversation with the Samaritan woman and began to talk to her about the water of life. He asked her for a drink. She said, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know. Um, 
about, about getting, I don't have, you don't have anything to draw with, whatever. And, and anyway, he said, if you would have known the gift of God, she said, why do you ask me a drink? You're a, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We don't have nothing to do with one another. And Jesus said to her, if you knew who you was talking to and you knew the gift of God, you'd ask me, I'd give you living water. She said, I want some of that. You don't have nothing to draw with. How are you going to get that living water? Oh, he said, I got water that you don't know anything about. Go get your husband and come here. Oh, Jesus knew exactly where she was at. Amen. She, he said, go call your husband. I'll talk to you about it. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you right there. You don't have no husband. You've had five husbands and now you're living with one that's not your husband. But can I tell you something? That Jesus ministered to her and, and before the conversation was over, that woman left her water pot at the well and left the well with a river of living wife flowing from the inside of her life. He wasn't there to condemn her. He was there to forgive her. She ran back into that city and she said, come and see a man that's told me everything that I've ever done. This is the Christ. And the whole town turned to Jesus and came to Jesus because a woman that had five failed marriages got saved and got a new beginning. Come on. Hallelujah. There's healing, there's restoration, there's renewal. There's a new beginning in Jesus. Woo! Worship team, make your way back. I know I preached too long again. I can't. Listen, don't ever think we're going to get you in and out in an hour. We can't do it. I said we can't do it. Let me close with a verse of scripture. I've read this before. I'm going to do it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writing to the church. And he says this, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, and I think the New King James translates that homosexuals. Nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So he gives a list of sins there and he says, if you're practicing these sins, you won't go to heaven. Now, I didn't write that. The Spirit of God through Paul wrote that. But look at verse 11. Here's the good news. But... Such were some of you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to those folks in that church at Corinth. And he said, some of you were adulterers. Some of you all was drunkards. Some of you were homosexuals. Not are, but were. Some of you were uh, uh, revilers and covetous. Some of you were extortioners and thieves. But you're not that way anymore. Were such, were some of you. But you have, oh, thank God for the but. Come on, somebody. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Thank God I'm not what I used to be. I've been
and a new chapter. No matter what you've been through in the past, Jesus can work it all out and fix it. Amen? Praise God.